What is going on everyone? This is Michael and you are tuning in to Vias for Veterans. I want to say welcome back to episode number two. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to the first episode. There was an immense amount of listens uh, on a lot of different platforms and I just want to give an extreme thank you to everybody who listened in on right here on Anchor, on Spotify, and also who tuned in to the other new podcasts that I'm streaming on, such as Breaker, Pocket Casts, um, Google Podcasts is another one that picked me up. So um, my podcast is slowly taking off. And I just want to say thank you to all the listeners out there who are tuning in to support the podcast and whatnot. Um, I do want to say right now, this episode, I was supposed to have a buddy of mine uh, come on with me, and we were going to shoot the shit on this episode. Um, My buddy Nick was supposed to be on here, but he had a friend that was getting out of the army, so um, they wanted to go out and do some, you know, uh, anti-quarantine shenanigans. So, hey, no judgment there. You know, we got to do what we can so that way we can keep our sanity, right? Um, So, Nick, if you're listening, hey, brother, you know what? hope you're having a great time out there and, you know, just remember to be safe and, you know, don't get uh, in trouble or anything like that. So uh, let's go ahead and kick this episode off. So for this episode, I want to kind of get down um, to a little bit more of a serious note. Uh, I want to tell you guys about my struggle with uh, PTSD. I know it's a really touchy topic, um, especially, you know, for a lot of veterans out there and then some service members who are still in who think that if they share something like that, you know, they're viewed as weak or, you know, um, whatever negative feelings, you know, you feel like your fellow service members think about you or even, you know, some friends and family that you have back home that just don't understand the concept of PTSD. And, um, you know, a lot of people really don't realize that PTSD affects everybody differently. So there was a lot of crazy shit that happened to me while I was out of deployment. Uh, won't really get into much detail on this episode. Um, you know, in future episodes, I'll go ahead and touch more, you know, once I get, you know, a, uh, larger, you know, listening base. So that way I know that this is actually reaching people, you know, who definitely need to hear it the most. But, um, as I was saying, you know, when I was deployed in Afghanistan, uh, all of 2012, uh, I experienced a lot of really hard shit out there. And before I went into the army, I was always uh, strong-willed. Like I had said on the previous episode, um, you know, the force has always been really strong with me. So I didn't really feel that, you know, anything I experienced out there was going to change me as much as a lot of people were thinking it was, you know, but I was definitely wrong about that. So a lot of the things that I went through, that I did, that I saw, um, just, you know, the experiences as a whole, uh, when I came back, when we were going through our kind of out cycle of deployment and doing our, um, you know, due diligence for, you know, I guess they can call it reverse SRP and, you know, going to get our checks at behavioral health and whatnot. And, you know, when I sat down and I had my talks with my PL, uh, which is platoon leader and, you know, other people that were just kind of doing their regular checks and whatnot, I didn't really have any issues, you know, when I initially came back, you know, so I didn't really think it was gonna affect me as much. Um, I felt that there were some things that were probably barrowed down really deep and, you know, weren't going to come up and be surfaced, but, you know, (laughs) 
everybody, you know, thinks that stuff like that isn't going to happen to you. You know, sometimes it'll happen right away automatically, you know, it'll start kicking your ass and you won't even, you know, see it coming. And then, you know, other times, you know, like myself, it won't come up, you know, years later, you know, and it'll be just the most insignificant thing that happens and it kind of just, you know, triggers you. Um, so I'll let you guys know this much. When I was on deployment, I was involved in four IED incidents. And uh, for those of you that don't know, IED stands for uh, improvised explosive device. And so there were four incidents where I was involved in those and I was dismounted for two of them and then mounted for the other two, which means, you know, I was on foot for two and then I was inside of a vehicle for the other two. And um, so that kind of really took a toll on my body. Um, the first IED incident I was involved in, you know, that right there is a whole big story on its own, which I'll get into on a later episode when I can actually, uh, get in touch with the guys that were involved in it. So that way they can, you know, have their part of their story told as well, you know, just so that way I can have, you know, that respect, you know, for them to tell their side as well. Um, so for the first IED incident I was in, I actually don't remember it. Um, what I remember was my team leader told me to move up. Uh, at the time, I was a saw gunner. So um, we were going through this area that was supposed to have a shit ton of Taliban members. But once we got there, there was nobody. The village was completely deserted. So we knew automatically it was a trap. Um, you know, so we were walking through this, you know, little village. And I remember my team leader had called me up to pull security down this little rat trail. And uh, all I remember was I went to go take a knee and went to go throw out my bipods to the saw. And then the next thing I knew, I woke up at the roll three on calf, uh, which was Kandahar airfield. And the roll three was pretty much like the hospital uh, out on calf. And I just remember I had a neck brace on and my battalion ops sergeant major was kind of looking over me like, oh, hey, Garcia, you thinking about taking some time off? And I'm like, oh, you know, sergeant major, it's, you know, just something to do. And I had no idea how I got from, you know, going to pull security down a rat trail to all of a sudden having a neck brace on and being in a hospital. So um, even to this day, I still have no idea what happened. Um, both of my team leaders at the time were wearing GoPros and they both have video of the incident that happened and they have asked me, you know, multiple times in the past if I ever wanted to watch it and, you know, smart on my part, I, you know, declined because I feel that whatever happened in that memory, my brain does not want me to relive it. So you know, I feel that's my brain's way of, you know, protecting a huge part of my sanity. Um, so, you know, moving forward from that. So, um, as you know, like I said, I was involved in four IED incidents and, um, you know, didn't really have nothing, you know, affect me. You know, when I first came back, I was kind of just living life, you know, normally. And there was, one time, I want to say it was the last year that I was uh, stationed at Fort Lewis, um, I was part of the command team, and I was our battalion sergeant major's personal driver, which, you know, as most of you probably know, that was like a really cush job to have. Um, it was shamtastical. So 
we were in charge of helping the EOD guys run IED lanes um, for incoming privates that, you know, just were fresh out of base training and wanted to get, you know, the run through of how to identify um, directional IEDs, you know, hidden IEDs, remote IEDs, what have you, just the different lot of them. And so me and a couple of other of my buddies who had deployed, who had experience with IEDs, you know, we teamed up with the EOD guys to help them out. And there was this IED lane that the EOD guys made that we would be on the protected trail kind of on the perimeter of the of the path and then we would be able to observe the squad at the time moving through you know the lane so that way we can kind of um grade how they you know did their security you know if their head was on a swivel you know how well they were um identifying you know the different id markers around the lanes and whatnot so every time you know um the squad would finish the lane we'd get to the end and then there was a little hill that the squad would walk up and then we would just walk up with them and kind of walk around you know the the perimeter and go back to the starting point and we did this, you know, for about a good four or five hours because, you know, believe it or not, it actually takes a pretty good amount of time to be able to walk through a lane and get some good ID training, especially when it's just something you really don't take seriously because you know you're in garrison. So with that being said, you know, yeah, of course, there were a lot of, you know, soldiers that set off the little toe poppers, you know, what we called them. So that way they would kind of get the sensation of, you know, the bang and, you know, they would freak out and, you know, they would kind of understand that their life, you know, was basically over right there. It was just, you know, game over for them. And as I knew that those toe poppers were going off, they weren't really bothering me, I guess, because I was expecting them to go off um, because I was part of the crew that helped place some of the IEDs. So I know when they got to certain parts of the lane where they were at. So come to the end of, you know, the last squads going through and whatnot. And so, you know, we were bullshitting with the squad. We were kind of giving them our notes, letting them know how they did and whatnot. And then we sent them back up the hill. And unbeknownst to me, my crew decided to walk back through the lane backwards. And I didn't really think about it, you know, because I was in mid conversation with one of my buddies and whatnot. And we started walking and we were coming through this area and all of a sudden I walked and I stepped and I just felt this click. And in that split moment, for some reason, it seemed like thousands and thousands of bad emotions just rushed over my body and I was trying to scream at myself in my head, don't pick up your foot but it was kind of too late. I was already in the motion and you'd be surprised how many thoughts could run through your head in like a millisecond. And as soon as I knew it, my foot came up and I just felt the bang and I just felt it surge through my entire body. And I remember my buddy that was in front of me, the way he described it was, it looked like I levitated off of the ground and I just came at him like a vicious cat with my hands out like claws. And he said that all I did was I grabbed onto his jacket and I held on and just dug my fingers into his body. And when he was trying to, you know, snap me out of it, I was just completely zoned out. I was, you know, holding on to him like my life depended on it. And, you know, it really fucked with me. 
and I didn't realize how much it fucked with me, you know, and the EOD guys, they were kind of laughing and, you know, oh man, like, why are you reacting like that? And, you know, the buddy that I was talking to, he was like, hey man, you know, like, shut the fuck up. Like, he actually was blown up a few times on deployment. So, you know, that kind of got to him. And, you know, all of a sudden they were like, oh, fuck, well, hey, you know, we're really sorry. We didn't know. We didn't mean. And, you know, that's that's fair, you know, because this is not something that I really like sharing with people because I feel like when I do share it, those feelings kind of come back and it just sets me back. You know, it's kind of like I'm playing, you know, a game of shoots and ladders. Like I make all this progress and then like, oh, fuck, I hit a ladder and then I kind of just fall right back, you know, a few steps and whatnot. Um so anyway, back to the story. Um, so we ended up just kind of making our way back on to the perimeter lane where we were walking for the whole time and ended up going back out, you know, of the lane. And I went to the front and was talking to my section sergeant and, you know, he could tell, you know, on my face, I was still out of it. And he just kind of looked at me. He was like, Hey Garcia, you know, you doing okay. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing fine. Sorry. You know, it's, you know, it's nothing I can't shake off and whatnot. So, you know, we got the briefing for the next day, you know, to figure out what the game plan was. And so, you know, everybody was taking off and I got into my car and I remember sitting there with my car running and I remember just staring at the steering wheel and I felt like I just zoned out. And then, you know, next thing I know, there was a knock at my window and it was my section sergeant and I rolled the window down. I was like, Hey sergeant, what's going on? And he just looks at me and he goes, Hey Garcia, are you sure you're okay? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'm okay. Well, you know, like, why do you ask? And he kind of just looks at me and he goes, you've been sitting here for over two hours. And it just blew my mind. I was like, Holy shit. Are you serious? And he goes, yeah. And you know, so I turned my car off and I got out and I started talking with him and as I was talking with him and telling him what happened, I couldn't help but start fucking crying. And, you know, some of you might think like, oh, hey, you know, like what a pussy move, like you're crying. But, you know, those of you that have been in those kind of situations where, you know, your life could have just been over and then, you know, something happens where your mind kind of relives that whole fucking thing over again. You know, it's a really scary fucking thought to have you know, so I just remember crying and telling him what happened and just thinking in my head, like, fuck, you know, that this was it. This is what is going to set me off. And, you know, now my PTSD is going to start, you know, showing its ugly face. And I was right. Um, you know, so I told, I told my section sergeant everything that happened and, you know, he felt for me, you know, because he himself had been through some crazy shit on his deployments And so he told me, Hey, you know what? Tomorrow don't come in, you know, just text me in the morning. Let me know you're doing good. You know, I'll, you know, tell first sergeant, you know, you're dealing with some family, you know, stuff and you've already cleared it with me and, you know, just take the day off. And I just thought in my head, like, Holy shit. Like, you know, like, thank you. And I went home and just kind of, you know, mowed over everything that happened to me and whatnot. So the next day he came over to my house and, you know, he was sitting down and talking with me and, you know, he wanted me to go over everything that happened to me on deployment. And he wanted to know everything. 
So he was at my house for a really good fucking while because there was, you know, if I talked to him about everything in detail that I can remember back then at that time, you know, we probably would have been there all fucking day long. Um, so I just remember, see, like right now I kind of have that overlapping sense of, you know, dismay, um, just talking about it again, you know, cause I have to, you know, just kind of relive everything in my head and it sucks, you know, it, to this day, it still affects me. So I, I knew I was in trouble when I was shopping at the commissary, you know, like you go to the commissary and there's always, you know, you know, everyone's, you know, everyone and their mother's there, you know, cause there's a lot of good deals. They don't do no taxes. And you know, you're just thinking in your head like, fuck yeah, you know, no taxes, no, you know, subtax, nothing like that. It's whatever the price is, is whatever the price is, you know, you can't beat that. So, you know, prior to that, every time I went to the commissary, you know, I'd be totally fine you know, uh, walking down the aisles, you know, a bunch of people everywhere. It didn't really affect me, you know, cause every time I went grocery shopping, I would always have a list and I would be on a mission to just get what I needed and get the hell out of there, you know? And I'm pretty sure a lot of you can relate to that cause you don't want to, you know, one of two ways you either go to the grocery store and you kind of just mingle down every single aisle or you have a fucking plan of attack and you just go in there, you get your shit and you get the hell out of there. So before that incident at the IED lane happened, I'd go to the commissary, I'd go to the PX and I'd be completely fine. Um, but after that IED lane incident, the next time I remembered going to the commissary, I was in a lane, I was in an aisle and then a lot of people started coming in and then out of nowhere, I just felt this sense of urgency to get the hell out of there. You know, I felt like I was being closed in from each side. Like I had the sensation that I was getting ready to be ambushed. And I had never before that time had any kind of feeling like that. So I just remember pinning myself against the grocery shelf and kind of just being frozen there while people are just kind of like walking by me and I felt powerless, like there was nothing I can do. Um, I just remember, you know, not being able to snap out of that feeling and it was terrifying. Um, you know, I just remember thinking, holy shit, you know, what, what is going to come of this now? You know, now that Pandora's box has been opened, you know, there's really never no closing it. You know, how much worse is this going to get? And, as I've come to learn, even to this day right now, which is, you know, a lot of years later, I still cannot be in crowded places. Um, I can't go to no grocery store if it's completely full of people. Um, being back here in Fresno, California, during my birthday, there's this thing called the Big Fresno Fair, which before I left for the army, I would go to every single year because it came in the month of my birthday. And I would love to go there. And there was a fuck ton of people. Um, you know, you would literally just kind of be shoulder to shoulder walking, you know, past people and whatnot, but it didn't really bother me. But being back here in Fresno and thinking about 
the situations I would be put in last year when it came, I didn't go. I had no desire to go because I just knew that it wasn't going to bode well for me. And that kind of sucks because I feel now that this, you know, form of PTSD for me has that kind of hold on my life and it just makes it like a crutch, which really sucks, you know? And I just want to, you know, say to those of my listeners who are dealing with, you know, their own form of PTSD, like, hey, just, you know, have comfort in knowing that you're not the only one. You know, this guy right here, whose voice you're listening to, I'm going through the same exact shit in my own way, you know, PTSD is its own demon and everybody that deals with it sees it in their own way. But the fact of the matter is, is it still makes us feel exactly the same, you know, powerless, which is not a great feeling, you know, for a man or a woman, you know, you can't help but just think that nothing's going to get better. It's just like that dark cloud that looms over you. So there have been things that I've tried to do to make my situation with my PTSD a little better. Um, Luckily, nothing has really gotten worse. You know, I don't really have nightmares, um, you know, probably due to the fact that because of, you know, my uh, moderate case of TBI, I really don't sleep that well. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm lucky if I do get to sleep um, a solid night without waking up every hour, just kind of, you know, cause my mind is nonstop and it really does suck when I did come back from deployment, you know, because I was having these issues with sleep, they had put me on this uh, prescription called temazepam and it's basically a sleep aid. But the downside is, you know, once you take it, you will be asleep for eight hours minimum. And, you know, as a lot of you know, (laughs) being in the army, when the hell are you ever going to be able to get eight hours of, you know, continuous sleep? You know, it it doesn't exist. So the only time I'd be able to take that shit was on the weekends. So it really didn't do anything for me, especially because, you know, some weekends I'd either have CQ or staff duty. And, you know, as you guys know, those are 24 hour shifts. So, you know, what the hell is a sleep aid? supposed to do for me when I can't even take it. So that was kind of just a fail in itself, you know, nothing that was really in my control. Um, you know, but I have kind of found little things to help me stay asleep for at least, you know, two to three hours at a time without having to wake up and just kind of get up and see where I'm at, check my window, check my door, kind of walk through the house and check everything, you know, and it sucks. It's, it's just, like I said, it's just kind of that crutch where, you know, once that PTSD has a hold of you, you know, bam, it just really, you know, takes you for a fucking wallop. So anywho, that is, you know, my little story on, you know, how PTSD came to affect my life and how it's affecting my life now as a veteran, um, finding my own ways to deal with it. Guys, gals, 
you know, if you are also dealing with your own PTSD demons and you kind of want to share your stories on what you're going through or how you're dealing with it, you know, to help other service members, other veterans, you know, please don't forget, um, you know, I have an email for the podcast vias for veterans at yahoo.com all lowercase, you know, send in your stories, you know, and I'll read them on the podcast. So that way, people out there can know that, you know, they're not the only ones and they can try to find different ways, different coping mechanisms, you know, different tactics to kind of attack this head on, you know, because the best thing about doing things wrong is sharing those experiences with other people and the things that you tried that were wrong could be right for somebody else, you know, so don't be shy, you know, reach out to me on the email. uh, Or you could also reach out to me on, you know, the Twitter for, you know, the podcast at vias for veterans. Um, I really look forward to hearing from you guys and, you know, getting your two cents about, you know, everything that's going on in your lives and how do you guys deal day to day and whatnot. So with that, you know, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up that whole um, somber part of the podcast. And I kind of want to use this time, you know, to give a couple shout outs um, to some of my buddies who I reached out to about the podcast, and they're looking forward, you know, to being on here in the future. So as I said, in the beginning, my buddy Nick was supposed to be on here with me. And we definitely have a lot of crazy fucking stories uh, to tell about our time in service together. I met him when I got to Schofield Barracks, Hawaii you know, good old two, three, five. So, you know, when I get the chance to have him on, um, next week on episode three, you know, we'll go ahead and get into our craziness. And then, you know, I'll go ahead and basically do like an interview for him. So you can kind of get to know him, get to know his story, you know, what he went through and how he's managing his life as a veteran now, you know, so I really look forward to that. So Nick, you know, I know you're listening. Don't worry. You know, you're going to be on here next week and we're definitely going to shoot the shit and, you know, get this podcast rolling, you know, even more hardcore than it already is. Um, Another shout out I want to give to is my buddy Santiago. He was the other guy that was with me when I was in Hawaii, like my last year there. And we were also in command team um, while I was at Hawaii. So I was both in command group at Fort Lewis. And then my last year at Hawaii, I was also on the command team. So it was pretty funny. Um, you know, so my buddy Santiago, he was the battalion sergeant major's personal driver and I was the battalion commander's personal driver. So, you know, me and him spent a lot of time together, you know, bullshitting and getting to know each other and whatnot. So we definitely got into a bunch of shenanigans and, uh, I just want to let, you know, him know Santiago brother. Hey man, I miss you. I hope you're doing good. He's still kicking ass in the army. I want to say he's out at Fort Riley. Uh, I can't be 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure, you know, when he listens to this episode, you know, he'll reach out to me and let me know if I was right or wrong. Um, also want to give another shout out to my buddy, Gabe, who unfortunately, because of this whole COVID-19 thing, he is stuck at Fort Sill, Oklahoma at AIT and he's kind of just in limbo. Um, so I met Gabe through this mobile game I play called Marvel Contest of Champions. You know, any of you that know it, you know, it's become a really big thing and I've been playing it for over five years. So I met him through the game and, you know, we remained friends, you know, over the years and I've actually accumulated a good group of friends from the game. But the cool thing about Gabe was 
I actually got to meet this dude in person. So he originally is from Arizona. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, bullshitting around when I was in Hawaii, you know, telling some of the guys that I played that game with like, hey, you know, you guys, you guys should come out and visit me in Hawaii. You know, it's going to be totally cool once in a lifetime. And, you know, yeah, a lot of them wanted to. But Gabe actually was the only one that said, hey, if you're serious, I'll fucking go out there. And I thought, well, like, yeah, I'm totally fucking serious. Like, let's do this. So he legit, you know, planned out, you know, some time, some vacation time at his job. And, you know, like he came out, he flew out to Oahu. I went to go pick him up at the airport. You know, we had never seen, you know, what each other looked like through pictures or anything, you know, so... You know, when I gave him a call when I was pulling up to the terminal and then I seen the guy pick up his phone and I'm like, that's the dude right there. And I remember pulling up and, you know, it was surreal, you know, like you, you know, you play with people, you know, on video games and, you know, you become good friends with them, you know, through the video games, but you never think about meeting them in person, you know, and when you do, it's just kind of like a really awesome story to share. So you know, he came out to Hawaii and, you know, I took him around to do the, you know, I guess the whole Hawaii tourist thing, but then also kind of showed him, showed him some of the hole, hole in the wall places that, you know, a lot of my local buddies, you know, showed me and he had a blast and, you know, he was really interested in, you know, getting more information about how I liked it in the army. And, you know, I told him at the time, I, you know, I loved it. You know, this is something I could see myself doing, you know, for the next, you know, 10 to 12 years, you know, I actually wanted to make a career out of it, you know, but things didn't really work out that way for me. And, you know, it, it, a part of it sucked, but then a part of it felt for me that, you know, my time, you know, was done. Like I, you know, was all I could be. And it was time for me to move on and do something bigger and better with my life, you know? So, you know, going back after he, you know, he spent about two weeks with me out there in Hawaii, you know, and it was pretty awesome. And after he left, I remember he started asking me more about uh, basic training questions and basic training specific um, how to how I studied for the ASVAB and whatnot. And I, you know, kind of sat back and I was like, hey, man, are you thinking about joining the army? And he was like, yeah, you know, but he joined, you know, to help out his mom, to help out his family, you know, kind of get into a better situation. So, you know, um, I gave him as much information as I could, you know, I didn't bullshit him. I told him like, Hey, you know what? It's going to fucking suck some days and other days, you know, you're going to feel like, Hey, I can do this. You know, I didn't fucking give him the whole army commercial, like fucking, you're going to be a fucking ranger and you're just going to blow up fucking buildings and shoot people all day long. Like I told him like, Hey, this is how it is. You know, this, there's the good, there's the bad and there's the fucking horrible. So, you know, unbeknownst to me, like he, went through with it. You know, he did basic training and, you know, I'm 100% proud of him. So Gabe, I know you're listening. Hey man, you know, kudos to you. And I'm so glad that you became, you know, a part of this world with me. And I hope that you get your situation figured out out there, man. Cause I know it just kind of sucks being there not being able to do nothing and just, you know, not know what's going on, but you know, the biggest thing that I can tell you is that this whole hurry up and wait is going to be a huge part of your life in the army. And I'm pretty sure all you listeners that are, you know, current military uh, veterans that you've all dealt with your own hurry up and wait. And it is just an ugly beast to have to deal with, man. So again, best wishes to you out there at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Hope that they get their shit together, you know, and you can figure out what's going on in your army career and start fucking spearheading this shit and getting it going. So 
with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and start winding down the episode. I want to go ahead and give you know, another big shout out to my brother, Tim, his podcast, the morning after with Tim, it's firing on all four cylinders. Now he is on, I think seven or eight different broadcasting services for podcasts. So he is totally kicking ass out there. I know he is on anchor breaker, um, pocket casts, uh, Google podcast. He also got a hit up from Apple podcasts, which is, you know, the biggest one to go on. So Tim, I want to say congratulations to your podcast success, man. Keep kicking ass, keep growing. Again, you can find him on anchor.fm forward slash the morning after W Tim. And you can also follow him and any of the podcast information on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the morning after W Tim. His podcast is kicking ass and I wish you nothing but the best brother. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. I want to say thank you so much for all the listeners who tuned in for episode number two. And I am going to be dropping new episodes every Saturday. Um, So make sure to tune in for that. I don't really know a certain time on Saturday when these episodes will drop. I just know that Saturdays are going to be the days that new episodes will drop for the podcast. So that way I can give each episode it's time to breathe. It's time to, you know, find its way out to, you know, the current listeners to new listeners that want to tune in. And I really appreciate everybody that tuned in for the first episode. I hope you enjoy this episode. And again, if you have any submissions, any requests, anybody you want to give a shout out to, anybody you want to do uh, in remembrance for, go ahead and hit up my email, v is for veterans at yahoo.com, all lowercase. I check it all the time just to make sure I don't miss nobody and really look forward to hearing from you guys. You know, so until next time, always remember, I got your six.